Good afternoon and welcome to the Carolina Codecast, the official podcast of the Carolina Code Conference. I'm your host, Barry Jones, and with me today is Eric Burden. Say hello, Eric. Good afternoon. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So tell us about yourself. What are you up to these days? Where are you living? What are you doing for work? So, yeah, I uh, I live here in beautiful Pickens, South Carolina, which is west of Greenville. Uh, we are a little bit closer to the higher elevations, which uh, I enjoy. Um, for those of you who are familiar with the area, we are in the backyard of Table Rock State Park, mm. uh, which is my absolute favorite uh, morning exercise when I can get out there. Uh, just taking a trip, you know, up and down that mountain is uh, it's good for me. Yeah, that absolutely is. That's I love that area over there because I'm in Easley, so I'm I'm really close to you as it is. Uh, and so oh, nice. anytime that, you know, we get a chance to drive up towards the, towards pumpkin town or, uh, or to Pickens, or even go over to table rock and kind of get in that area near the base of the mountains, going up to camp Greenville, a pretty place and any of that stuff. It's just, it's a beautiful drive in general. And, uh, I used to, I briefly worked for a company in Brevard, North Carolina, where it was just straight across that mountain. Anytime we wanted to go and meet up and I always look forward just to the trip. <laughs> Cause it's just such a absolutely. Yes. And that, that drive, uh, sort of like through, you know, the winding roads up the mountain into North Carolina from here is absolutely gorgeous, especially this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So how long have you been in Pickens? We moved, my family and I, we moved to Pickens in, uh, June of last year. So, uh, almost a year and a half now, uh, we've been in Pickens. Uh, previously we were in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, where my wife was finishing her PhD at the University of Memphis. All right. Uh, yeah. And she, she finished. She's good. Uh, and we, uh, a- a- after she finished, she, uh, she had the distinction of defending her PhD th- uh, dissertation the week before the city of Memphis shut down for COVID-19. Oh, God. <laughs> so... Uh, we hung out in Memphis for a while. Uh, you know, she she graduated with her with her PhD and was looking for you know professor roles, uh, and those did not happen uh, Im- immediately into the pandemic. Right, that yeah. that sort of went away. Um, so we stayed there for a while. She did a she actually did a visiting professorship at University of Memphis. So it it worked out fine. Uh, but we were in a position where, sort of up until uh, that moment. We had always known my wife, she's going to graduate and, you know, university jobs are not the sort of thing that you've got 12 different universities hiring in the same city, right? And yeah. you go pick yeah. one. Uh, we were going to move. And so we always knew we were going to move. And uh, at that point, you know, she was done and we were deciding, you know, where are we going to move based on where she gets a job? Right. She ended up finding a remote job because that also became a thing uh, quite a bit more during the pandemic. That's something uh, I didn't know about. They have remote professor jobs now? So interestingly enough, uh, she did not start off as a professor. She started out, she found a job with uh, the University of Michigan uh, in their English, uh, oh, it's Michigan language assessment. So they, they okay. make uh, and run uh, English language testing for places all over the world. Interesting. Uh, so if anybody's coming into your university and they need to take like an English language placement test, it's probably one of their tests. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. So she was remote and I was remote and we wanted to leave. Uh, so there was a spreadsheet involved and, and, you know, Pickens, Pickens won. So how did Pickens win? Uh, now I'm, I'm curious, what were your big factors for Pickens? So, you know, we, we, uh, we both grew up in the state of Mississippi. Okay. And so a lot of our, our criteria for where we want to live permanently with our kids were things like, you know, we liked affordability. We liked living not where we could, you know, throw things at our neighbor uh, or our neighbor could throw things at us, you know, depending on the mood. I can appreciate that. Uh, so a little bit more space. Uh, obviously cost of living education uh, for the kids was a big thing for us finding somewhere where we could, uh, you know, plug into a community and get them a good education. Absolutely. Uh, was huge. Weather was also a big thing. Um, having grown up in the deep South, uh, we knew how much humidity we didn't like. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, 
to be fair, you know, I do still hear people talk about humidity uh, here in the upstate. Oh, it's no. not bad, guy. No, it's really not bad I'm, at all. I grew up in Florence, South Carolina. Uh, I, I, I know humidity. You know, coming up here, Absolutely. it's it's they are thin <laughs> comparatively up here. Absolutely, but uh, so yeah, it just you know had all the 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 combination of uh, we we were able to find a house in our price range. Uh, we obviously found a, a beautiful place to live, uh, and. We really enjoyed it. And as it turns out, the internet service here for our remote work is incredible. We're on the uh, the Blue Ridge Fiber. Oh, that's uh, right. So we're getting it like 500 up and down. Nice. Yeah, I, we finally got AT&T Fiber in my neighborhood like uh, five months ago. And honestly, I can't imagine doing this podcast without having that much upload bandwidth. Because when I was just limited to my 10 oh, yeah. meg upload, it, it would have taken me all day just to upload the video. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Interestingly enough, uh, both our, our internet is more than an order of magnitude uh, better than it was when we lived in a suburb of Memphis. And the power stays on more, that is <laughs> more regularly. Well, so you mentioned weather and I, I never expect you to, to talk about something like weather on, on this podcast. But I have been telling my wife for years that this easily Clemson Pickens area, this little corner of South Carolina right here is this weird, like weather safe zone because, you know, from somebody I've lived in easily for 20 years. So I'm, I'm 10 miles from you and I've been just kind of watching this phenomenon for years. What happens is that you're far enough inland that when a hurricane comes on the coast, it's dead by the time it gets here in order for any really bad weather to hit, it has to come up from the Gulf and then stay on this side of the mountains. The bad mm. snow weather that comes through, it, it always comes in from the northwest side and the mountains absorb all of it. I mean, at worst, we'll get like a couple days, maybe two or three days of snow per year in a, in a heavy year, even if you have a, a heavy snow. But all the really bad weather gets absorbed by those mountains. And so between the mountains that are right behind you and the, the distance inland that we are from everything else, it's always good weather here. And it's absolutely you know, maybe I shouldn't be average, you know, but <laughs> right. No, it, it really is. Uh, and it's funny. So, you know, one of our one of our columns on our spreadsheet, right, was like uh, tornado occurrence. Yeah. Right. And again, we were Mississippi and then Memphis. We moved in June uh, that year. We had been in the hallway multiple times yeah. with tornado sirens, you know, in, in Memphis. Uh, and of course, you know, at that point, you got to wake up all the, you got to wake up the kids, uh, go get the hamsters, uh, you know, make sure all the, all the people and pets are in the hallway. Mm -hmm. uh, there was, a, there was one night that year where we were up twice with tornado sirens. Uh, so, you know, did the whole thing, put everybody back to bed and then did it again. Uh, and then we moved and, you know, obviously, you know, internet tells you one thing in terms of research and we start talking to people. Uh, in the local area. And we're like, okay, so how often do you guys have like tornadoes? Like, like I know what the data says, but let me, let me hear from you. And when people had to stop and think, I knew we had made a good decision. Nice. Well, um, I'm going to attempt to steer this back onto code related topics for a minute, just for, for sake of the audience. But um, so, you know, you, you ended up moving here from, from Memphis and you kind of quickly discovered the conference. I know you attended the Carolina code conference this year. You submitted a talk as well, and we weren't able to get you in, but it was, a, it was a talk on, um, Oh gosh, what was it called? Uh, iterate the falling, falling in, in love, love with, with iterators. iterators. That was it. And you kind of covered them across, uh, across multiple languages. Um, so you, you wasted no time getting here and kind of getting plugged into the local, tech community with Hack Greenville and everything else as well. Uh, were you plugged into the community in Memphis when you were there? I absolutely was. And in fact, I still am oh, that's good. Uh, quite a bit. So there's an organization, it's a nonprofit out of Memphis called Code Connector. And it's an on, it's essentially an online community. Most of it lives in a, in a Slack instance. Yeah. Uh, that is, you're right. That is, it's dedicated to, um, working with people who are looking at making specifically making a, a career change into tech, right. uh, typically from 
underserved uh, communities, nice. uh, which, you know, is, is a big part of the Memphis population. Um, when I lived in Memphis, uh, when we first moved, I actually worked for the United Way there. Uh, and so the whole like nonprofit sector is kind of my, my home. Really? And uh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and so that was, you know, I, I j actually I, I, I found Code Connector again during the pandemic uh, because I was at home. Um, and, you know, I've, I've been a, a technology professional in non-technology settings for a while. And so the experience of like not having people you work with to talk to about like, you know, oh, here's the code I wrote today or here's the, the framework that I'm struggling with or, you know, why did this person who wrote this uh, code for me make such stupid decisions? Oh, wait, turns out it was me. Uh, right. Like those conversations were things I was used to not having a lot of. Uh, and then when we all moved home, uh, my, my wife quickly got tired of me. Let, let's just be honest. Uh, and so I started, you know, looking for, well, maybe I can find some of these online meetups uh, that I can talk to other people who will uh, not get tired as quickly uh, of that conversation. Right. Uh, and Code Connector was that, was that place. Um, and so we run a number of meetups, uh, a lot of stuff around like uh, user interface design, uh, having outside speakers come in. Uh, and then I, along with a, a few of my, my other uh, friends, uh, host a regular meetup called the Coding Dojo, uh, which is, it, it's a name. Good name. And good name. Uh, absolutely. And, and the point of that is to, to work with, you know, um, I'm not even sure. It was one of the, one of the other guys uh, recommended it and the rest of us were like, we have nothing better. This is, this is going to work. Yeah, that's a lot, how a lot of them happen. Um, <laughs> and the, uh, it's it's about uh, helping people train for uh, the whiteboard interviews. Oh, nice! Uh, in part because, like, the the theory is that it's it's like public speaking, except it's enough not like public speaking that if you don't practice doing the the coding and talking about code and talking through uh, algorithms and 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 problems and things in front of other people, you're not going to be good at it, and no one is. Yeah. Uh, unless you've, you've spent some time, right. Thinking about it, practicing, doing it in front of other people. That's, that's how you get better. Yeah. Uh, so we, we bring in a new, um, uh, someone who's, who's relatively new, uh, making a transition every month. Uh, and we walk them through that process of, you know, writing out a, a, a solution in pseudocode, thinking it through, thinking it through from like that high level perspective that doesn't have anything to do with, what your actual syntax is going to look like. Yeah. Pseudocode uh, and is most hard for a lot of people. It is hard. But what's what's brilliant, though, is that most of the time, you know, we, we walk it through, we talk it through, we get to that pseudocode. Uh, and then the the presenter, the driver, they share their screen. They've got usually VS Code pulled up. Uh, and then we can just sit back and read the pseudocode to them. And it's like, you know, it flows uh, into the syntax. And, and we we often get that experience at the end. We're like, Oh my gosh, this works like the first time. That's interesting. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd actually love to uh, see that demonstrated. I think there's a lot of people who would benefit from that. Absolutely. Uh, I'll, I'll be happy to send you, send you an invite. Nice. Uh, after we hop off. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but of course, and, and we have people it's, it's a Memphis based organization, but it's mostly virtual. Uh, so we have folks from all over. Nice. Uh, inside and outside the U.S. Uh, these days. Uh, now, although the name is, uh, is is similar, we're not affiliated with the Code School at all, with the conference and the, and the cast, but the Carolina mm -hmm. Code School is is always looking at bringing people in who typically are doing career changes that when they when they are going through their, their boot camp programs. And I know one of the things that they're always trying to really prepare them for is making sure that they're ready for the interviews. And it'd be, I, I would imagine that, uh, that, just meeting some people over there and kind of talking through what you did there would potentially be beneficial for, for a lot of the area over here too. Absolutely. And I would love to have that conversation. If nothing else, just extend the invitation to come and, yeah. uh, and just sit in. Right. Because I think it's good for, it's, it's certainly good for the person who's getting the reps in getting the practice, but it's also good for everyone else to like, see, okay, this other person is doing this, right? Like there are other people like me who are making this change. It's not, just a world full of, you know, uh, dudes with huge beards that speak Linux. Yep. Uh, that, you know, 
this is this is open to me. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. That's that, and that's that's great work to do. So, what got you involved with the United Way in the first place? Is Code Connector through United Way? So it's actually not. Um, my my career path is a weird one. So I'll, I'll start by saying right one. now, uh, right, <laughs> uh, right now I am in. Uh, my my job title is IT Senior Principal Consultant with NTT Data Services. Okay. Uh, and what I do there is uh, I serve as the project management uh, technical lead for data conversion and data reporting uh, for the Arkansas uh, Child Welfare Information System Project. So the state of Arkansas is migrating to a, a more modern child welfare information system. Uh, and we are managing that project for them. Um, and I, 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 sit a, I sit on the database. Uh, which is which is where where I'm comfortable. Right. Uh, but that is the I result of right. Uh, that's the result of like a sort of a long slow migration because my actually my first job out of college was as a frontline social worker. Wow, uh, that is a shift. I started out right. So I, no, I didn't have a CS degree. I had a uh, actually I had a chemistry degree. <laughs> chemistry it took degree, frontline social worker to data analyst or data migration specialist. Yeah, well, like I said, it took me a while to figure out what I wanted to do with life. But, you know, I started out, um, I was working for a nonprofit. I was working with teenagers yeah. who were transitioning out of foster care. Wow. And for these folks, like there's a there's a lot of need there, because when you think about I think about like my transition, you know, into adulthood, I had a lot of help. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of support, you know, both uh, of, of all kinds. Uh, and these 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 kids, uh, these young people, a lot of times they don't. Uh, and so our work. job was was trying to get them ready. And what I noticed in doing that work was that uh, there were a lot of things that we were doing in in just a real like beat around the bush kind of way. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Right. So we would uh, at the end of every month, uh, every specialist across the state would go to their office uh, and spend the entire day compiling all of their their records for the month into a report into an excel spreadsheet uh, and then sending that to the main office and then the main office would take that excel spreadsheet and then compile it uh, so you know real quick uh efficiency was like well what if i could just put my data into an excel spreadsheet all along the way and then just have macros to run it at the end of the month yeah right so uh, an entire day's worth of work turns into like 30 minutes worth of work. And of course, you know, I kept this to myself for a while uh, because it was nice having the entire day. Yeah. Uh, but eventually, you know, word got out and, and this spreads around. And so like that was honestly kind of step one. Uh, and then from there, you know, you, you get a you get a reputation for being like, oh, you know, Eric's the, the tech guy uh, in, a, in, in our in our org. Uh, so we'll talk to him about stuff. And, you know, you just to be to be fair, right, the nonprofit sector is, tends to be behind the private sector uh, just in terms of, of technology oh, yeah. uh, across the board because it's expensive. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's it's hard to convince donors to give for your new computer system. That's not what motivates people to give. Right. I mean, uh, the nonprofits, right. You, you could probably say a lot of people in, in nonprofits, the volunteers who were there. A lot of times people think about going in just to work with their hands or, or actually just to, you know, they're giving of their Absolutely. time. They're not necessarily thinking, all right, well, I'm giving of my time. So how can I be more efficient with it? <laughs> right. You know, how can I contribute to the infrastructure of my favorite nonprofit? Like, exactly. you know, that's, that's not a, 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 that's not a, a thought and it makes total sense. Uh, but the result is that there, there tend to be a lot of organizational inefficiencies. Yeah. Uh, that are just caused by, you know, being behind mm -hmm. the curve in technology. Uh, and so I just kept finding opportunities to to learn new technology and then to apply it to the work I was doing and to make, it, you know, at least the workplace better for the people who were there. And I realized that as much as I love and I loved, uh, you know, working directly with the folks that we were working with. Uh, I realized I was doing more good for them by improving the workplace for everybody else like me. 
Yep. Um, and so, you know, we went from there to just, again, you know, picking up more things. I went to work for the, the state of Mississippi, uh, ended up as the uh, data reporting division director for the state child welfare agency there. Uh, we built out the state's um, uh, reporting system uh, for the state. So we, we built a custom application to pull data out of their legacy uh, database, which was an database server, like down in the basement of one of the state buildings, uh, and display it for the social workers across the state to say, okay, this is what I need to be working on this week in order to make sure that that we're you know following all the policy and meeting the needs of all the kids on my caseload. Yeah, because the policies uh, don't get any smaller. No, they do not, or any less complicated. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how you can Absolutely. navigate some of those up without the without having the right software in place. Absolutely, yeah. But, um, so yeah, and then you know, journey just, right there, though. I mean, that's 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 fantastic work that you're doing. It's it's wonderful that you have such a heart for service. You know, it's it's really it's the thing that keeps me going. And so, like even now, right? Like I'm I'm working remote uh, as a consultant. We pick up projects everywhere. I'm still child welfare focused. Uh, I'm, you know, still working on this child welfare project. And every once in a while, you know, I have to stop and remind myself uh, that, you know, how important this work is yeah. uh, because you can get disconnected from it. Oh, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Sort of sitting here in the living room. And and there's also, uh, you know, there's certain areas where you just, you, a lot of people coming in aren't going to necessarily know what they're doing or how to approach the situation. Like, I, you know, I don't, I don't talk about this a lot, but years ago in, in my Sunday school class, there was a, there was a kid in my Sunday school class who needed some extra guidance. He was, came out of a similar background, you know, kind of left home and, and we'll just, we'll just go with that. And had been kind of taken in from people at the church was, was working and whatnot, just needed some advice. And so I tried going through and giving him, uh, give him advice and coaching him through everything and, and doing what I could, but I did not know what I was doing. I didn't know how to communicate effectively. I didn't know uh, what he would be able to relate to. I, I tried to do uh, to just relate to him like I would with anybody else, but in the end, you know, after after six months of it, I didn't do a very good job, and I I just kind of felt like I I could have done more, I should have done more, or whatever else. And um, I have no idea what he's doing now, but I, I worry about him all the time, and uh, yeah. and it's. I wasn't sure if it was just communication style or if I need, or, you know, you need more people involved to try to make sure that everything is, is structured properly or what, like in, in Pickens and in, in easily we've got the, the dream center, which is a wonderful organization. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we tried to get them in with the dream center at one point to kind of get things to kind of bridge that gap, but they didn't have any room at the time. But um, you know, as, as far as I know now, he's, he's a, uh, he was always a really hard worker. I mean, he was always great at the great at the job. I think he ended up working with the HVAC um, companies mm -hmm. for a while, but but it was really tough. And uh, just trying to to relate to him at a level that he could, and then you think about how you know growing up, I had my parents. If I didn't know what to do, I asked my parents. He didn't have that kind of system, and he wasn't. Yeah. I mean, he didn't even know how to ask questions in a lot of cases. Uh, like if it wasn't being told right. directly to him, like you need to go do this, he didn't know what do I need to go do. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's stuff you just you really take for granted. And uh, anyway, yeah, no, I mean, thank you for sharing that. And I, can, I mean, I can tell you, right, as somebody who's done uh, work with teenagers professionally, uh, you know, you pour you pour everything into them, right? Um, your success rate is is what it's going to be. Yeah. sometimes uh but also like the, i think you know a lot of times too the impact that you get to have you don't ever get to see the full the full result of that that's probably true too. Uh, you know it it makes a difference and and you know sometimes you you're pushing up up a hill that's been growing somebody's whole life yeah. and uh you know you and i right like uh it sounds like come from stable backgrounds with yeah stable families and whatnot, like the top of that hill looks different Yeah. sometimes. Like, you know, uh, success is in the eye of the beholder a lot of times. And, uh, you know, I've had, you, you have, you have people come back and be like, Hey, I'm doing this, that, or the other thing. And you think to yourself, like, man, you know, I want it better for you. 
but they're super excited. Yeah, that's true. Um, so, you know, uh, I, w- I wouldn't get down on it. Right. I think, I think what you, what you were doing, like trying to make a difference there. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah. Doesn't stop me from thinking about it though. <laughs> but, um, but, I, but I that, that's that. fair. Yeah. Well, and you know, and to, to, to lighten it up a little bit, right. Like, uh, that's that experience of having, having been where the social workers sit and of, of going through like some of that emotional work, yeah. right. Of, of knowing that like, I'm giving, you're giving your best and you know, you're wanting the best for, for these children. Uh, and sometimes you're not going to get it. Uh, and sometimes things are going to go out of your control. Um, like having had those experiences, I'm able to go into rooms with social workers now and talk to them about like technology, talk to them about the system that we're developing, talk to them about these, you know, reports. And right. You think about like reports, it's looking yeah. at data on a, on a screen uh, about a w- in a way that is, is letting them know that, Hey, we understand where you're coming from and what we're not doing is creating more hurdles for you to jump over more hoops for you to jump through. We're not making your job harder. These are tools to meet you where you are and to give you more of your time and energy back to do that emotional work, which is why a lot of people get into social services careers in the first place, because they really want to do that connecting. They want to pour into those clients. They don't want to go back and document, you know, all that. And so this Uh, is, and so from a software standpoint, the type of stuff we're talking about is the work that you did with, with code connector and United way. Right. Right. And so, and so what does NTT do? So NTT, we're, we're, well, and that's, that's what I'm doing now with the state of Arkansas okay, uh, with NTT. So we do, we do, uh, we do consulting with state and federal governments uh, and other uh, business to business. I'm in the government consulting and accountability sort of wing. Okay. Uh, so, you know, right now I'm working with the state of Arkansas when this project's over, you know, I may go to Colorado or Tennessee and, and work on similar projects. We have a lot, we have several child welfare projects coming online, but we also do like Medicaid projects, uh, health and human services kind of nice. uh, projects with different States. Okay. All right. And so with, um, you know, with them, I, if you just glance at your, at your LinkedIn, you're going to see a lot of data analysis stuff really quick. You're going to see SQL R Julia rust, you know, so how much of that are you using on a daily basis? How did you get into all those? What do you use them for? And I hear about, are in Julia a lot. I've never used them. And, you know, I'm, I'm always kind of trying to better understand what the use case is for those languages. Absolutely. So I'll tell you when I, when I was working for the state of Mississippi, uh, I learned R because uh, we, we were working on, on data reporting for the state and we had uh, SQL developers on staff, which is actually kind of a rarity yeah. uh, for a state child welfare system. Uh, and they were great. They had no idea about anything that had to do with actually doing social work uh, or, you know, even some of the terminology that people use. So I would constantly be in the middle of, you know, this director is asked for this information uh, from the SQL developers and the SQL developers would give them exactly what they asked for, exactly the way they asked for it. And it wasn't what they meant. Uh, right. And you go through cycles yep. of this. So I'd be That's in the familiar. middle of that. <laughs> And, uh, and there were, you know, uh, eventually I convinced them. I was like, Hey guys, if you'll just give me like read access to the database, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be able to answer some of these questions without having to come to you. Uh, and they did, and it was great. And I learned that SQL is hard, uh, especially like writing complex SQL queries was hard. And I was, you know, working on learning that technology and a friend of mine said, Hey, have you heard of this? There's a programming language called R, uh, and I know you know you're familiar with with like writing normal code uh, as opposed to SQL, which is clearly not normal code. I'm I'm uh, plenty familiar with SQL too. And uh, he's like, you know, maybe that'll help you, and it and it really did. Uh, so I was able to you know essentially go to the database, drop a table out, or not drop a table, ex- export a table, right. Uh, and and then write my code in R to do my analysis. Now, eventually, I got better at SQL. Uh, you know, exposure helps. Yeah. Uh, but that was the that was the introduction. And so it was. So R is a programming language. If you've not used it before, uh, it is very much uh, a language where 
uh, a table of data is a first class citizen. That is a that is a data type built into the standard library. Okay. Uh, it's a it's called a data frame. It's the it's the thing that if you're familiar with like uh, the pandas uh, library for Python. Uh, just just for sake of the podcast, assume I'm not. Okay, so it's pandas is a Python library to make it easy to work with with tabular data, right? And you've got this whole library built out for that. It's built into the R language. Okay, uh, so it's a very it's very much a first class citizen, and it makes it very easy uh, to write syntax that deals with uh, tables of data uh, in a sort of top down, like you know, take this data table, do this, do this, do this, do this, uh, mutate these columns, aggregate with these grouping columns filter on this criteria spit out a result okay you know, uh and it it's honestly if uh and i and i recommend this to people like uh you know my, I, I mentioned my wife is an academic uh, i work with occasionally people who come from that academic background who are used to doing or, or you know like a business analyst background who are used to doing lots of work in excel yeah. uh and you know like writing these complex v lookups and things or like you would be the perfect person to learn R because you're essentially doing the things that you would normally do in Excel, uh, typically in a non-destructive way. So you like, you know, take your data in, write your script, get data out, right. uh, you know, as opposed to like Excel is a wonderful tool. I get, I get in trouble for like, you know, talking down about Excel. Excel is a wonderful tool uh, until you need to do something twice. Um, and if you're ever in the, in the position where you've, you've created a report in Excel and they're like, great, this is awesome. Can I get it for the next month too? And you realize like, you've got to go through and like repeat all these steps and maybe you dropped some columns, maybe you deduplicated some things uh, and you have to do all those things exactly the same order. Again, you start to wish for a scripting language and R is just really great for kind of automating those kinds of tasks. Yeah. That, that sounds familiar. It, it's one of those things of, you know, as a programmer, because I know how to write code, I would much rather have a CSV and then just run it through some Ruby code or something like that to, yep. to do the transformations or, or changes that I want to do rather than sitting down and trying to figure out how to do it in Excel. But for people that don't Absolutely. have that background and they get into Excel, there's a lot of stuff you could do with Excel and there's a lot of businesses that run on Excel. And so it's, it's, it's hard to bag on it too much because the fact that they made something that, that's, so, that's so approachable for so many people. Uh, they can Absolutely, everything it does. It's it's really it is impressive, and it's it's always interesting to try to find those those gaps. Like I was, um, there's another there's a whole other subset of technology called uh, business process management uh, tools, mm -hmm. and it, it's it's standard for basically automating business processes and connecting things together, and basically converting things from from being a diagram to automating each step of it and connecting the processes with either people or, or automations and communication along the way. And you can diagram how entire business process flows go. And it's really, really helpful, but it's in this weird place where if you show a programmer the problem, they're not going to reach for this tool. They're going to just go code it. Right. And if you show a business person the problem, they're going to ask a programmer to go solve it rather than bringing in the tool yep. to diagram it out and go, Hey, we can pull it all in. And it's, it, it's a very interesting, interesting spot for a solution. And then there's just the, the psychological dynamic of who approaches going to the problem that way. But uh, right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so then you get, and you only get the benefit after, right? Yeah. Like after you, you take on sort of the pain of, of implementing it, you know, the benefit comes later. And so, yeah, it's hard to get over that hump. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right. So you learned R and I know it are R and Julia similar languages. Do they do kind of the same? Things? Julia is, has, has a similar uh, goal or similar aim to R. It's a, it's a, it's a newer language. So R is actually pretty old. Okay. Uh, wow. It's about, it, it came out about the same time as Python did originally. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So it's been around for a while and it, again, it's pretty popular in academic settings. Uh, Julia is very new. I don't remember the exact year. It comes out of MIT, uh, and it's aimed at it's aimed at solving the the, the what they call the two language problem. Where uh, and this is actually why I know Rust is because of the two language problem, which is uh, you can write code, uh, dynamic code in in R or Python that that will do what you want. You can be very expressive. Uh, you can't be fast, right? Uh, in in raw. 
are um, because it's not fast. It's it's a you know it's a dynamic interpreted language. Uh, so when you want to do something fast, you drop down and you write uh, you write your library in uh, a statically compiled language, typically like a C or a C plus plus or a Rust. Okay, I've actually uh, seen like a hear... Rust data frame library that is used by other languages to hook into it, not just R, but I think I've actually seen extensions for like Elixir and Ruby as well. Is it Arrow? I have to go look it up now. I don't know. Yeah, that's a, it's kind of a, that's a big Apache project. You keep talking. I'm it's very look it up cool. real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and so the, the point of Julia though, is that you don't have to do that. You write your Julia code and it gets JIT compiled. Uh, and so the first time it like takes forever to compile. And then after that, you know, it runs at compiled language speed. Uh, but you get some of the expressiveness of, uh, of a dynamic language. Julia is actually a lot of fun to write. Uh, I still have not, I really don't use it much professionally. Uh, honestly, because it's sort of that like tool, you know, problem. I just, uh, I've been working in R for so long that any problem that I would use Julia on, I already know how to solve it more easily for me in R. Uh, and so I, yeah. I often will just read for that instead. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a lot of fun to write, uh, write code in. It's, it's a great language. Now, was it, now I remember we actually had somebody submit one of the, uh, the code header challenge entries with R. Was that you? That was probably me. Okay. That makes sense. We're going to be doing the code header challenge again this year too, for the 2024 conference. So I'll, I'll be looking forward to seeing, you know, R and Julia entries for that. Uh, I did look up what I was thinking about and it was, it's a library called Polars. Polars. Yeah. Same guy who made pandas actually. Okay. Uh, and also I'm pretty sure, uh, he's the, I bet I would bet money. That's uh arrow under the hood. Uh, cause I think it's, it's Wes McKinney. Okay. Right. I'm, I remember seeing it, there was an elixir library that basically uses Polars under the hood. And if I remembered right, because mm, I've spent a lot of time working with Elixir and Elixir is an, is a language that's very good at doing a lot of things at the same time. It's not mm. as efficient at doing straight line stuff. It's just that that's built for, for managing a lot of things going like millions of things going at the same time in parallel efficiently. Um, but uh, straight line benchmarks, it's never going to win. And so it typically a lot of Elixir developers uh, are used to, to using a NIF to call out to, to rust. Um, because of the mm, safety yeah. guarantees that you get with Rust, it, it lets them, tr it makes them more willing to trust it, and so you end up seeing a lot of, uh, you end up seeing a lot of Elixir developers using Rust-based libraries for for performance extensions and stuff like this. And so it's that's why it came across yeah. my radar. That that makes total sense. I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I actually started because I, I had some 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 code that just took forever to run. I was doing. Uh, what amounted to date corrections in R, uh, based on things people type into spreadsheets, right? Yeah. Uh, and and so you know you just every cell might be different than the one before it, and so it was you know just looping over the entire thing. You weren't getting you know any of the the goodness of any of the already underlying uh, libraries, mm -hmm. and so it was really painfully slow. So I was like, I'm going to fix this. Uh, I'm going to write my own underlying uh, implementation of this. So I tried to do it in C. Um, I was not a fan of that, uh, mostly because it kept seg faulting and not telling me why. Yeah. Uh, That's not something I would have reached for. <laughs> no. Well, see, yeah. Like, uh, I well, and then I reached for C++ and it was complicated. Uh, and then, you know, I was like, okay, these are not fun. Uh, what else is there? And, and Rust was available. There's a there's actually a project to make it relatively easy to write R libraries in Rust. They they do some of the bindings together. It's an open source project. Okay. That uh, I've ended up actually doing a little bit of work on, not a lot, but a little bit. And uh, it it was just honestly like if if you hear anybody talk about writing code in Rust, one of the things that that you'll always hear is the quality of the error messages. Uh, that you get from from Rust, and that was the game changer because coming back across uh, out of the Rust code and into the R uh, ecosystem, it brought those error messages with it. And so when things broke, I at least knew why, and that I could do something sense. about it. I like that, uh, and that was that was a much better experience. So you're you're clearly a polyglot developer, 
and you've you know learned all these different languages and you've you know some of them you've learned from work to solve different problems that you've come across is there any particular annual event that has inspired you to learn languages why now that you ask uh you know we're coming into december uh and one of my absolute favorite things is is advent of code right. uh, so that'll start december 1st so what is advent uh, and of for, code? for anyone i was right for anybody who's not heard uh, Advent of Code is a yearly collection of of coding puzzles, right? You can think of uh, like uh, Code Wars or Leak Code kind of okay. puzzles, right? Uh, that run the gamut from relatively simple, like you know, summing things over a list, to I think one year there was 3D transformations of points in space, oh, wow. of oh, in wow. multiple ways. Yeah, it gets kind of gnarly toward the end sometimes. Um, and it's, it's, it's built in the spirit of an advent calendar. So each day through the first 25 days of December, there's a new cut, uh, there's a new puzzle released, sort of like opening up your advent calendar. And instead of chocolate, you get like, you know, a brain teaser in code. Um, nice. And it's something actually, I started doing it in 2020. Uh, and I ended up actually enjoying it so much that I've now gone back and done, I think they started in 2015. So I've gone back and done the years from 2015 to 2022. Oh, wow. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to this year. I've used Advent of Code as sort of a springboard to learn uh, a couple of different programming languages, including Julia and, and Rust. Okay. Um, the first year I did it in R, and I, I think I learned more R doing Advent of Code than I had done up until that point. And, and I'll tell you why. Um, Advent of Code is a, is a great way to get a very thorough tour of your language. Uh, it's going to just ask you to do most of the things that your language can do. And, you know, I came from a data analysis background. Yeah. So, you know, doing things like thinking about how to optimize an algorithm uh, to run in a reasonable amount of time, like doing a graph search was not something I'd ever needed to do in R before. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, doing it for advent of code really, it taught me a lot about the language, uh, and just had me you know, like touching different parts that I don't do, uh, on a normal daily basis. Um, and I, you know, I think one of the other things I love about it is the fact that it's, it's these puzzles that lots of people all over the world are doing at the same time. Yeah. That's uh, cool. and so there's a, there, there are a ton of resources for it, right? Like you can go online and, and read uh, and watch videos and read blog posts about it. I actually do a blog series uh, every year uh, with the Advent of Code Solutions. Really? Uh, mostly, it, it forces me to write code that other people can read. Uh, and so like uh, since I use it for la learning a language, I feel like it, it incentivizes me to try to write it in an idiomatic way and not just yeah. like take a bunch of shortcuts. That, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, I, I always tell people that one of the early lessons that I learned was that if you want to learn something, commit to teaching it to somebody else. Absolutely. And that that's exactly it. Um, but no, I love it. I, I you know, I, I've got a leaderboard. Uh, we, we run a leaderboard for code connector. I've got oh, one nice. personally. So folks are welcome to join. I don't do the global leaderboard, uh, because it would stress me out too much. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the codes, the puzzles release at like midnight Eastern time. And if I'm ever writing code at midnight, it's because someone somewhere has done something terribly wrong. Yeah. Uh, I, I used to write so code at midnight Eastern time just because that was the only time I could get the ability to focus. I'd sit down and, and be ready to go to bed around, you know, 10 o'clock. And I'd be like, you know, I'm just going to look at this one thing. And then I'd blink and it's 6 a.m. You just get into that, oh, man. you get into that flow yeah. and because you don't have any messages coming in, there's no phone calls coming in, nothing like that to distract you. You just, you get in the zone. But, um, but then, uh, but then I had kids and that stopped. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because they don't care what you did the night before. Yeah. You're getting up at the same uh, time either way. <laughs> right. Yeah. When it's time to get up, it's time to get up. Yep. So with Advent of Absolutely. Code, uh, what are you planning on learning this year? So this year I'm learning Kotlin oh, nice. uh, because I, I don't know anything that I can write on a mobile device uh, well, although I think you can technically do Rust on a mobile device. Uh, so that's that's my reasoning. Uh, and right. it's sort of Java-like. Uh, and I know a little bit of Java. And, uh, you know, Kotlin is a way for me to feel like I know more Java without actually having to, you know, 
learn Java. That's how I feel uh, about viewer factories. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yep. Uh, so yeah, so that's that's my target for this year. You know, kind of pick a I, I kind of pick a new one uh, every year. Uh, so that's nice. We'll we'll see how it goes. I've I've only uh, ever heard good things about Colin. It's it, it's it has a lot of people that really really love it, and uh, you know it's from the bits that I've seen of it. Isn't it like more of a functional Java? So it's interesting. You it has a lot more functional support. Okay. Uh, than than Java does out of the box. The syntax is a little weird compared to like more purely functional languages. Yeah. Um, but it's not anything you can't you can't get your head around right. pretty quickly. Right. Um, so you know, and I'm I'm looking forward to learning more. And again, it gets a lot of use. It's been on my uh, list a for a while places. too, so I'm I'm interested to, to to hear more and find out more. And so, is Advent of Code directed at specific languages, or do you just pick whichever language you want to go with it? So you can you can pick whatever language you want. Okay. All the development will be done locally, okay. so you can you can solve it locally. Uh, you know what. I love seeing some folks get very creative uh, with Advent of Code year after year and solve it in uh, in very esoteric things like Excel. <laughs> um, <laughs> actually, uh, or or oh other things like uh, uh, you see some prologue answers. Nice, uh, which that's a that's a mind bender right there. Um, and yeah, and all sorts of things people. I think I've seen someone uh, who actually wrote their own language to solve advent of code problems wow. in. Uh, and just like, again, you know, having the huge community working on something at the same time as you uh, is great because you can reach out yeah. and, you know, talk to other folks. Uh, I do, you know, kind of host conversations about advent of code uh, on the code connector. You know, we talked about that before. Yeah. Uh, because again, it, it helps encourage folks to jump in and explore their language and do new things. Um and yeah, and it's great. Like you can, you know, complain about the same thing uh, on the same day. It's a good experience. I like that. I like that a lot. The, um, you know, what I'm hearing with all the esoteric language solutions is that I need to be looking at advent of code to find speakers doing weird things. Oh, you absolutely could. See, my goal, I haven't really said this out loud yet, but I'm going to now. Uh, one of my goals is I desperately want to have one person at the conference this year give a talk on mainframes. Oh, wow. Something related to yeah. mainframes, COBOL, whatever else. I just, I, I feel like it's needed because there's actually a good amount of work still happening in mainframes and people don't oh, realize it. Um, and it'd be great to have somebody come in and talk about, you know, how you solve problems in these languages and how you learn it and how you can get better at it so that you can be qualified to actually apply for any of these positions that are out there. Like I know locally it's, it's even still happening. People using the well, I mean, yeah, I learned the other day and it, it's one of those things that I feel like I should have known, but I didn't know. Like IBM still making these things and selling tons oh, yeah. of mainframes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's supposedly there's a big story about, um, or this, this, the story may or may not be true, but uh, there's been a long running story that I think it was one of the big insurance companies um, will take people on a tour and they will show them a room that is a data center that has a wall to wall servers of everything that, that you know, you would normally use and they're all off. And then they'll walk you in the next room and they'll show you three mainframes and say, we replaced all that with these. And, uh, and then, I'm, I think it would be really interesting if we can, if I can pull, if I can find one of those folks to, to come in and talk, I think it'd be a good addition to the, uh, to our esoteric polyglot conference where we talk about all sorts of random stuff. <laughs> I believe it. And I, I would be personally very interested because, you know, again, working with state uh, governments, uh, we often have clients who at least run, are still running part of their business on a mainframe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Um, well, let's see. Uh, God, I think we've covered I mean, you, so you attended the conference this year. How was the experience with that? Oh, it was it was absolutely wonderful. I mean, did you meet you a know, lot of people? First of all, sir, did you meet a lot of people? I met a lot of people, right? And as someone who is very new to the community, uh, that's important to me. Uh, so we got to meet people uh, and hang out. Got to throw some axes with the conference organizer. Yeah, uh, he was not very good. Learned that I'm not very good at that <laughs> at all. Uh, 
you get in a groove with it. Like it, the, the first 20 minutes I couldn't hit anything. And then everything that I did just started hitting. You just find that right release point and it just goes. That, you know, that was very similar to my experience, except 30, 20 minutes was really more like an hour and a half. <laughs> uh, eventually it did start to click. I, I'll say that. Uh, but no, it was a great conference. Uh, and again, you know, I mentioned early on, right? Like I submitted a talk uh, and I, maybe I mentioned this, uh, before we got on, you know, I submitted my talk. Uh, and when, when I, when I got the rejection back, I felt bad about it. Uh, and then I saw the announcement of all the speakers that you guys had lined up. And at that point I was like, you know what, that, that tracks, that was a good call. I'm, I'm uh, the speakers were absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. The, uh, and, and I don't, the, the speaker selection process is really difficult for these, for the conferences in general. Um, and it's it's difficult for me to farm it out because like to I know a lot of conferences will bring in a committee to kind of go through the talks and everything. And right now I'm doing all of it. And the reason that I'm doing all of it is because I've got this weird balance that I'm trying to go for of of subject matter across different languages, because you, know, you want different topics using different languages so that you're not hitting the same thing over and over and over. You don't want too much repetition on the same thing. And like last year I had I think we had like we had multiple AI related talks submitted, and sure. you know, yeah, just because it was a, a popular trending topic that year. And you've and you've got to try to cover the the gamut of some of the DevOps related stuff. And you've got to, I wasn't able to get a security talk in, and that absolutely killed me. Um, and uh, you know, because that's something I'm I'm very committed to. But it's a, it's a weird balance. And the other balance that we're trying to get is you're trying to balance the more experienced speakers with the less experienced speakers. Because you want to make sure mm -hmm. people are kind of getting their early opportunities to get in and uh, get in front of a crowd and, and start building that experience up as well. But you also need to make sure that you've got those those more experienced speakers as well who can come in and are gonna are gonna you know, people are gonna see them on the list and go I gotta go see that <laughs> because yeah. it, it's it, it is a it is an interesting balancing act that I stress out way too much about, but I could never give it to anybody else because then I'd be stressed more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i feel you like delegation is uh is harder than people think it is yes yes it is for sure yes it absolutely is um absolutely. so I'm, I'm glad you had a good time I'm glad you get to get to meet a lot of people i hated sending the rejections also because there were a lot of really good talks submitted it wasn't like a thing of oh well okay well, we're just these are clearly the best talks and we're just going to to you know discard everybody else it was 83 talks and it was 83 good talks and it was just this wrestling act of going okay we're gonna I, I put them through like 20 different filters to try to narrow it down myself to try to, you know, to try to get things up there. And, uh, and ultimately I, I hate to say it. One of the things that, um, that was tough for years is because your talk was called falling in love with iterators. One of our keynote speakers was giving a talk called loop. And, yep. and I didn't want to double up on that topic either. And so, and, and initially that wasn't the topic he was going to go for. He actually changed his topic uh, after the fact. But I had committed to giving him to giving him a slot because he was one of the speakers that I, I recruited in. Um, right, for, for the, and it was good call on that. By yeah. the way, so I don't I don't do that a lot, but I do that for a little bit of it. Um, and so we were we were glad to have him in. But uh, but yeah, and so was, I mean, in terms of your in terms of your talk, you you posted the talk uh, online, not a not a video, but your slides are online. I've I've gone through all the slides and everything, and. Uh, and it was a, a really well put together presentation. I meant to ask you, what did you use to put it together? Because the the whole navigation structure of those slides online was actually really slick. Feel free to do a screen. Yeah. So, uh, what is this? I'm pretty sure I'll have to check, uh, but I'm pretty sure this is an R package that does that. Um, so it's it's output to like a static site generator. Do you, do you want to share? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I've I've actually got it pulled up on the screen just for that. Perfect. Uh, let's see here. You can thank Robert Rossman for this. He made me figure out how to actually uh, in incorporate the screen shares with the editing of the videos when he did his uh, podcast interview a couple weeks ago. There we go. Falling in love with iterators. Absolutely. And so you've got this, uh, and you know this navigation on the left side. You get your little hamburger menu over there where you can jump around and you can go down at different sections of it and kind of get into the nesting and everything. And so this was an R package that did this. Yes, I believe so. Uh, I need to check and make sure. Cause I've, you know, uh, the, the downside to doing the whole polyglot thing is that I try lots of different things. 
Uh, <laughs> so sometimes it's different, but I'm pretty sure this is a uh, this is an R package. Nice. Uh, the, so one of the one of the benefits of R being you know kind of aimed at at being an academic language is you get lots of uh, uh, of support for producing documents. Of course, websites are just documents. Uh, also, like PDFs and Word documents and things like that. So you can you know do data stuff and then output a report. Nice. Uh, which R is very good for that. And so yeah, it's it's good for demonstration. So you know, and you can of course like navigate through. Um, I like pictures, uh, in my slideshows because, uh, if nothing else, if people are laughing, they're, they're having a good time. Agreed. Uh, and you know, and I, I don't know that we, we have to go through the, uh, the entire talk, uh, here, unless that's what you want. No, to totally uh, up to you. If what, so what inspired you to do this talk in the first place? What made you think, you know, falling in love with iterators is a subject that I feel like we need to share. Absolutely. So. You know, one of the things that, that I've found, uh, especially in, in talking about programming languages and having learned a number of them, you know, learned enough to be dangerous, let's put it that yeah. way, uh, is that there are there are ideas that are implemented, that are expressed in different programming languages, uh, but there are ideas that, that, that sort of transcend the language itself, right? And iterators are really like one of the prime examples of that. It's this idea that you have a thing uh, and you can just ask that thing for values over and over again, and it will give them to you. Um, and, you know, how it does that and what that thing is uh, may change from language to language. Uh, but the idea of how it works is the same. Yep. And one of the things that you, that you get out of, out of using iterators more in your code uh, is you get code that's easier to read and easier to debug. So there's a uh, there's there's a guy who's who's much more famous and well known than me. A guy by the name of Sean Parent uh, who works for Adobe. Okay. Uh, he's famous for giving a C plus plus talk uh, where he he shares uh, you know this this sort of axiom of no raw loops, right? Where he's encouraging people to use more C plus plus has a ton of what they call algorithms. Uh, in, in both their standard library and other libraries uh, that are really sort of variations on iterators. Right. Uh, really, like you take a list of things, you process it through this algorithm and you get something out the other end. Uh, and of course, his, his advocacy is that there are, there's probably an algorithm that does whatever you want your loop to do. Yep. <laughs> uh, so you should just use it, right? So because like if you're recreating, if you're recreating the loop, uh, there's a chance that you, you know, you create an error, yep. right? Uh, and then the other thing is that if there's not already one, you can, you can write your own and you can encapsulate that logic into that iterator and then you can test it separately. You can ensure that, 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 that part is doing what you want. You can reuse it, uh, in other places. Uh, and it makes like, you know, the, the function that you're writing easier to read because you've reduced nesting. Uh, and especially in something like C++, which to me is already kind of hard to read. Yeah. Uh, that's really helpful. And so you get this idea that, you know, you can sort of uh, take code that's like deeply nested in a loop uh, and that you read kind of like SQL sometimes, right, from the inside out, right? Like you go, oh, I have a loop here. And then you read the inside. And if there's another loop in that, like, okay, well, I have to read the inside. And you sort of read that from the outside, the inside out. You just, you can write code that reads the way that you're used to reading, at least in English, which is top to bottom, left to right. Right. That makes sense. Um, and so I think I have some examples of that in here, if I can find it. If you're listening on the audio version of this, this is, uh, we've actually got the slides up on the, on the YouTube version of this. Ah, fantastic. Following. Yeah. So, uh, that, thank you for reminding me that there's an audio version. So I won't like point at the screen. Uh, that's a bad idea, but what we're no, looking at here is people who are going to see this part uh, of the presentation, they're, they're going to come to YouTube and take a look at it. I'm sure, but just do your best to explain Fantastic. That. Uh, yeah, what we're looking at here is uh, is an iterator in Rust uh, that we're that we're using to run length in code some you know list right, and it could be a list of whatever. Uh, that's what all the like the T's and the I's. If you're looking at the screen, those are all generics, right? Um, but this idea that you can you know go over. Uh, so if you have like you know A A A B B C, you would cut get out the other end like A three B two C one right, and that's a, it's like a compression thing. Um, 
and you might want to write your own iterator to do that. And uh, so the the actual implementation of the iterator, like as you're looking at it, and especially if you're not familiar with R, I mean with Rust, looks a little bit gnarly. Uh, but at the end, and this like walks through. Let me right. Really but at the end, you get, setup. Just again, <laughs> for the record, whatever you use to make this, it's really really slick. Uh, I, I'm a fan. Um, but what, what you get at the end, right? Like we're looking now at a function that uses that run length encoding. Uh, and you can see we've got here, we've got a string. It's got a bunch of letters in it. Uh, and the way we call it is, is we, we have our string. We convert that string to a list of characters using the, the, this cares function. And then we run length encode it, right? So like here in this function, it is extremely clear what we're doing, uh, to this input. Um, and if you want to know how run length encoding works, right? Like you can always go back and read the iterator implementation. Right. Uh, but if you just want to use it, which 90% of the time, right? Uh, that's what you're doing. Then you just use it, right? Maybe you read the documentation for, for how it works. Uh, but you don't have to write that, that loop yourself. And if you're coming to this code, you know, trying to, you know, maybe do some refactoring, maybe pay off some tech debt, uh, it's extremely, you know, it's, it's easier to read uh, and it's easier to work with. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the idea is that uh, using iterators can uh, really make your code much nicer. And, uh, you know, we, we, I point out in the presentation too that iterators are typically the data structure in your language that's underlying uh, your for loops uh, in a lot of cases, right? It's your for loop is really like syntactic sugar around an, an iterator. Uh, and so the, the nice thing about that is you can write your iterators and then you can for loop over them, right? You yep. could say for character pair in run length encode, do these sorts of things. Um, and so, you know, it, it even makes writing your for loops uh, a little bit easier. Now, some languages, it makes it easier than others. Uh, so I think I've got like an example here in Java, uh, that's still a little bit hard to deal with. I want to see that in Kotlin uh, after admin of code. I know. You know what? That's probably going to be my new example. I, uh, unless unless it's actually really nice, in which case I'm going to leave the Java version in here just to you know uh, dunk on Java a little bit. Uh, but yeah. So you know that's it's one of those things. Um, that I, that I'm often, especially, you know, again, you know, on code connector, when I'm, uh, working with, with newer people coming into the language, pointing out some of the ways that they can use, uh, the, the way that the language works, that seems like magic, just sort of demystifying some of that being like, I know, you know, I know for loops seem like magic. They're not, here's how they really work. Yeah. Right. Uh, in, in whatever language you're using. And it's, it's different in, in JavaScript and in, in, Java and in Julia and in uh, and in Rust. Julia is interesting. There's no act. You don't actually uh, write your own data structure for iterators in Julia. You just write a function, uh, and one of the one of the return values from that function is whatever your iterator data structure is. Oh, interesting. Uh, it's kind of a weird way to 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 do it. Uh, it takes a little while to get your head around. But I remember the first works. thing that really blew my mind with with iterators that made it really sink in was when somebody showed me basically an, an array of values and then they showed me a range iterator uh, yep. where rather than, you know, filling out an array with, you know, values one through a million, you've got three values. You've got a min value, a max value, and an increment by this amount. And it's just giving you the next mm -hmm. one without having to fill all that space up in memory. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. I now understand. Right. <laughs> yeah. So instead of like, you know, doing that logic yourself and populating memory and then iterating over it, which, you know, again, most I, most languages I've encountered, it still creates an iterator for you to do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can just like, yeah, I just want to add one every time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, and so, you know, there's a there's a lot of benefits you get out of that. And then, of course you know, as people move more toward functional styles of programming, that has certainly become more popular recently. Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, iterators plug just straight into that in, in those languages that support it. Yep. Uh, a lot of recursion too. A lot of recursion. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, we are just about at time. Uh, anything else you want to close out with? Um, you know, I, I think, uh, the, the last thing, uh, 
that I will say, and it's a, it's a thing that, that I, um, you know, again, I mentioned, I work with coach, the work with code connector and working with people who are coming into technology. Uh, you know, one, one thing that I, that I point out to, especially folks who are coming in and asking like, how do I get started? Uh, how do I, how do I start a career in tech? Um, you know, the, the first answer that you, that you get nine times out of 10, uh, is, oh, you can come be a web developer, right? Uh, you can come learn JavaScript, CS, CSS, HTML, uh, and you can do that. And you can, you absolutely can. Yep. There's a big market for that. Uh, if that's what calls to you, go do it. Uh, but if, you know, if my experience is, <clears throat> excuse me, you're good. Should have preempted that one. <laughs> Uh, but if my experiences in my career path have taught me anything, it is that, uh, there is technology out there for everyone, yeah. uh, to do the thing that you love doing with technology, uh, and, and to make, make a career of it that, that you can enjoy. Uh, I would be a very miserable web developer and I'd probably be miserable at it. Uh, but you know, being able to do the kind of work I've done is, has really helped. So if you're looking, you know, if you, if you're one of those folks who's thinking about, uh, how do I get into to tech, uh, or I'm too old to get into tech or, you know, I've already started this career. I need to finish it. Uh, but you're still interested. Uh, I encourage you to just find people who are already doing things uh, that you're interested in. They're out there. Yeah. Uh, there's a, you know, you haven't plugged it, but there's a, there's a great, uh, hat Greenville slack out there yeah. uh, with lots of really friendly people on it. I, I do more lurking than anything else there, but uh, uh, the folks there are great. Uh, you know, we've got co-connect, you got folks all over there. There's a lot of accessibility into this uh, tech community. Uh, a lot of very helpful people. And, and a lot of really helpful people who are more than happy to talk to you. So, uh, you know, come, come uh, hang out, chat, uh, maybe get a better feel before you, you dive into a boot camp or something like that. Uh, and, and I promise, you know, you'll, you'll likely have a better experience. It's a big, big, big wide world of tech for sure. Absolutely. Um, all right. Well, thank you very much for coming on. I've got to give my usual shout out to uh, herd media. Thank y'all for helping to coach me through doing this, uh, this podcast and learning my way through all the various editing pieces that we're doing here. So if you've got a professional podcast that needs to be done, folks over at herd media can help you uh, get it together and publish it every week and take all the, the hard work off your hands. And so they're right here in Greenville as well. So Eric, thanks again for coming on. This has been the Carolina Codecast. Thank you.